you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. So pleased to have with us for our daily update on COVID-19, Director of Infectious Disease and Prevention at Huntington Hospital in Pasadena, Dr. Kimberly Schreiner. Dr. Schreiner, a very good Monday morning to you. Good morning to you too, Larry. Uh, there's a great deal of concern about the BA2 subvariant of uh, COVID-19, and we have seen it taking over a greater percentage of cases of COVID-19. To what degree do you see this as a potential threat here in Southern California? Well, it certainly is on the rise and is fast becoming one of the more dominant variants, frankly, around the world. And you can see we sort of follow suit after uh, Europe, the East Coast, and now we're beginning to see quite a bit of uh, more BA2 circulating here. It's similar to the previous Omicron in that it's, uh, in that it's um, very, very infectious. In fact, it's about 60% more infectious than the previous Omicron variant. It's a natural uh, process with this virus, as we all, all know now in terms of the emergence of other variants. Um, you know, it's, it's circulating in the presence of a fairly robust layer of immunity in Southern California with between natural infection and um, good vaccination status. Uh, but it still can infect people who are fully vaccinated and even boosted. And so seems to be causing either not a lot of disease or milder disease. Haven't seen a big rise in hospitalizations yet, but it's uh, early days. Well, and the good thing is, of course, temperatures are warming, and that's generally a positive, right, because more people are outside. Yeah, it's always more dangerous uh, for these surges to happen as we're moving inside, and I think that's why uh, we're concerned about the possibility of a surge uh, next fall and winter. So um, this is at least the timing of this is a little better so we can be outside. We were talking uh, on Air Talk on our COVID segment, I think it was last Thursday, with Professor uh, Kristen Archoy at, at UCLA about whether blood type uh, is a factor at all in severity of, of COVID-19? Because uh, we had a listener ask that question, and, and you very kindly, as you so often do, sent me a, a study looking uh, at the literature on this and and um, comparing what it showed. And it looks like it's, it, it's pretty unclear, pretty complicated, isn't it, Dr. Schreiner? It is. And uh, Dr. Choi, who's just an excellent uh, uh, excellent. Uh participant in your show, um, as pointed out, it's really not very clear. I wanted to sort of show that there are, it's being looked at. 
you know, there are some observations that are interesting. Uh, we know that uh, blood types, certain types of blood um, can predispose people to other kinds of infectious diseases. So it might make sense that SARS-CoV-2 has some relationship with um, either the receptors uh, that are dictated by your blood type. It's also possible, much like we found with HIV, that there could be other receptors, genetic receptors, uh, that make people more susceptible to COVID. Um, that, you know, the CCR5 receptor, which was uh, discovered for HIV, happened well into the pandemic. We didn't really know that that was going to turn out to be a very important thing. So I think that it's important to keep looking at that because we do want to assess whether certain populations are at higher risk. Dr. Anthony Fauci said it's important for Americans to assess their personal risks, looking at the uptick in COVID-19 cases. Um, Your sense about how best to do that, because uh, that can be a complicated factor. How how do you assess potential risk of, of a situation you might be deciding whether to put yourself into or how to put yourself into it? Well, there's sort of two different scenarios. There's Uh, assessment of risk of things that you're going to do, so you have some control over that ahead of time. And then there's sort of the rather quick assessment that you have to do if something happens to you um, unpredictably. And fortunately, that doesn't happen too often, but that is something you want to kind of, ooh, maybe I shouldn't go into that restaurant because there's lots of people in there that don't have masks and they're coughing and so forth, and I don't have the right kind of mask with me or something. But I I sort of like to uh, use the, you know, 10 risk cards analogy that you sort of you have to assess each activity that you're doing is it worth spending one of those risk cards to do that and that's always balanced with um, what's my immune status have I had infection have I uh, am I fully vaccinated have I had both that confers a great deal of immunity to people uh, as recent studies have shown am I a vulnerable person do I have an immunosuppressive disorder am I older than 65 Uh, do I live with someone who's vulnerable at home uh, and what is the circumstance? Is it going to be a closed, poorly ventilated indoor area where nobody's wearing masks? That's a pretty high-risk thing if you're in there for a long time. Is it going to be an outdoor event where there's plenty of breeze and doesn't matter if people have masks on or not? That's a very low-risk event. So it's it's always that thing you have to kind of measure. And I think people are getting pretty good at it. Um, and I think it's better to assess that in the context of your own risk rather than waiting for the CDC to come out with some sort of global recommendation that doesn't apply to every situation. We're talking with Dr. Kimberly Schreiner, Huntington Hospital in Pasadena, infectious disease specialist. If you have a question for her, we're at 866-893-KPCC or email it to atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your location and your first name. Catherine in Mar Vista says, I'm debating getting a second booster. I recently watched some doctors on TV talk about potential harm of getting multiple booster shots, some even saying that constant boosting could have a similar effect on the immune system as multiple myeloma. Is there any truth in that? Uh, I don't think there are any data to support that. Multiple myeloma is an abnormality of the B cells and is a very common hematologic malignancy. There's no link to any of the vaccines to any hematologic malignancy. So that piece of uh, information is not correct. You know, I think that that we've had these vaccines now for two years. Millions of people have been vaccinated. Millions of people have been boosted. We're not seeing any severe consequences of that. It really comes down to whether or not it's of benefit. And some of the studies that have come out of Israel have shown right now that in the presence of highly infectious variants like Omicron, boosting may protect individuals who are at higher risk 
for having a bad outcome with this disease, and that would include uh, individuals over 65 uh, or with immunosuppressive or other kinds of chronic diseases. The benefit of an additional booster, and by the way, I just got mine about an hour ago. <laughs> How are you feeling? <laughs> so far, so good. Arm a little sore? No, not even. Really? I had, yeah, I had some arm soreness for uh, about, I guess, about three days after. Not I, bad, but. You know, about two o'clock in the morning, I may have some. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, but I'm 64 and I'm a physician and I'm front facing and I have a 91 year old mother that I see all the time. So, you know, everybody's boosted. And I think that. The vaccines are very safe. The boosting seems to help in terms of kind of getting you through little surges. You know, I think there is a need for having vaccines that are not as frequent and that are maybe more uh, universal in terms of the coverage, but those have not yet been developed. I think for right now, for individual groups or for those individuals who do high-risk behaviors, an additional booster more than six months after your uh, last booster is a reasonable thing, and it's safe. Jim in Huntington Beach, you're on with Dr. Schreiner. Yeah, Dr. Trenner, I was just curious. My daughter has long COVID. She's 38 years old, has two young kids. And on the third booster shot, it seemed to be the one that kicked it in. She had the alpha variant. Is there any protocols for her? Is there anything I can do to help? Well, there are many long COVID clinics uh, and that are available, uh, most of them in the universities. We also have one at Huntington. So I think that would probably be the best thing for her to be evaluated by uh, one of the, the long COVID clinics. USC has one, UCLA, Cedars, Huntington. I'm sure that uh, in, the, in Orange County there's also some. So uh, that's probably a good venue for her just in terms of addressing her symptomatology. It's very different from one person to the next. And often the, the vaccines actually make long COVID better. Um, I've had many of my patients have felt some improvement after they were vaccinated. So uh, it's important that you have a good immunologic workup. And um, again, if you just Google long COVID clinics in Southern California, you should come up with quite a few uh, uh, places where she could be evaluated. Uh, our clinic in Huntington is certainly open. It's free. And uh, if she'd like to be evaluated there, she could do that. Jim, so sorry to hear about your daughter dealing with this, and we, we wish her all the best. Thank you for calling. Jerry in West Hills says, I'm planning a long trip to the East Coast in August. Should I get a second booster now or wait until closer to the time of the trip so that my immunity from the second booster hasn't waned as much? It's probably reasonable to get it now. The immunity from the boosting lasts between four to six months, and so... Um, that's one thing I think we don't want to be sort of using the booster as I'm going to go traveling, so I'll get it to sort of keep me even safer. I mean, we want you to do it if you're going to be traveling because that does put you at a higher risk, uh, but the timing of it is not very precise. And so I think if you're someone who is at risk now and then is going to be traveling in August, I think getting sometime between now and the end of June is probably a good idea. With Passover and Easter coming up this uh, weekend, what uh, recommendations do you have for any gatherings or, or precautions people could take if they're getting together with family and friends? Well, we can see from the gridiron dinner that they had in Washington just how many people came down with COVID uh, at that event. That was 600 people, of course, and uh, but it was certainly significant. So we know it's out there. It's very infectious. Unmasked indoor uh, areas uh, that are poorly ventilated are higher risk. If you can do the event in an outdoor or on a patio or with good ventilation, just opening the windows, making sure there's good cross-ventilation. And also, you might want to check on people's vaccination and boosting status. 
if you have someone who's a, particularly a vulnerable person who's going to be attending, uh, then you want to make sure that people uh, could even test before they come. Uh, that would be helpful to ensure uh, protection of uh, the, the most vulnerable people. And, it's, you know, these are things that we can do each time we gather together for, with larger numbers of folks uh, for holidays and so forth. There's a recent New York Times piece looking at, um, you know, what our earlier fears had been about a twindemic of COVID and seasonal flu um, in the article positing that that might never happen. What are your thoughts about the prospects for that later this year? Well, that's a very interesting article, and there's some data to support it. And, you know, just if you think about it, Larry, we often know that when you have a cold, you sort of don't get another cold, which is an observation that's been made for many, many years, even before COVID. And that probably has something to do with part of the immune system, which are called interferons, which are released uh, during uh, infection with any kind of pathogen, whether it's a bacteria or a virus. Uh, But it's particularly important in viruses. And that may be what's happening with COVID, that COVID initiates this release of interferons. And so when influenza comes along, it sort of is, doesn't, you don't get it. Uh, For that reason, your your immune system is busy dealing with COVID and you don't get the flu. Now, it can still happen. People can get more than one infection. We've actually seen a case of influenza and COVID at Huntington. So it does happen, but it's unusual. And we were worried about that. So that probably has something to do with the immune system being kind of hypervigilant during that time period so that somebody else can't get in the door. That's fascinating. You were able to diagnose the COVID I get, but you were able to diagnose flu on top of that. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a very good test for influenza. So okay. A patient that was co-infected with both. And um, so which came first, we don't know, but thankfully they did okay. All right. Real quickly, because we're almost out of time, but um, how far are we from a nasal spray vaccine for COVID? A little ways away, but it looks like a very good modality. It may kind of deliver the stuff that we need right to the area where the virus likes to attach. So keep looking for it. All right, Dr. Schreiner, always a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Have a terrific week. You too, Larry. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAist.com at kpecc.org or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.